Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 331, where we interview Skylar and hear how he and his wife use geographic arbitrage and hustle to save 80 to 90% of their teacher salary, invest in real estate, travel the world, adopt two kids. Basically, he's going to make you feel like a total slacker, but it's such a great story. As much as I love my profession, there's a lot of victimhood in it of like, I'm a teacher, I don't make enough, so I'm not going to be able to do these things. And it's much more of a perspective of you have time and what are you going to do with that time? How do you ever utilize that? Whether it's a second job, you're making things with your hands, you're you're doing some type of craft. I don't know what that is for everybody, but utilizing that hustle and that time to make things happen and to not be afraid to ask questions. They don't do a great job teaching you about 457s and HSAs. They, they just kind of throw you it and say, here's your pension. We have a pension to fall back on too when we retire. And that's like our safety safety net. Um, and so really asking questions and, and then utilizing that time that you have is probably the biggest steps. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen. And with me as always is my total slacker co-host, Scott Trench. Hey, I'm not a total slacker. Do you save 80 to 90% of your teacher's salary, invest in real estate, travel the world, and adopt two kids? I do invest in real estate. With me, as always, is my kind of slacker co-host, Scott Trench. (laughs) Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else, to introduce you to every money story, because we truly believe financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big-time investments in assets like real estate, start your own business, or achieve financial freedom with a low-income job like teaching, we'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so you can launch yourself towards those dreams. Scott, I am super excited for Skylar to join us today. He has an excellent story that kind of proves me right when I say financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. Yeah, it was, this was a really cool story. Um, you know, it, and I think it, it's a testament to Skylar's hustle, his heart, his um, creativity, and his willingness to take risks here that um, I think enabled him to achieve a really incredible economic outcome for himself and his family uh, early in life here, even, um, starting as a, as a teacher. Two teacher salaries, and they're still crushing it. Absolutely. Well, should we bring him in? When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers an 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split, with 70% of profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, get paid first. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of the physical asset provide additional security in case of borrower default. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by redirecting your funds from Wall Street to Main Street, supporting local economies and generating profits simultaneously. This investment is reserved for accredited investors, but if you are not accredited, Pine Financial has options for you too. Take control of your investments and secure a stable 8% annual return today. Visit pinefinancialgroup.com slash biggerpockets to learn more about the fund. That's pinefinancialgroup.com slash biggerpockets. Skylar, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. 
Skylar reached out to us to tell us his story, which is a really, really awesome story of basically not earning a ton of money, but still living like he kind of does because he's got so many different ways that he is investing his money and allowing it to grow to provide the type of life he wants to have. Skylar, let's jump into your money story. Where does your journey with money begin? Yeah, first of all, thanks for having me here. Uh, like I mentioned before, I wish my wife could be here. She's uh, the partner in all of this and uh, definitely keeps us both accountable in a lot of ways. But uh, my money story probably started um, early on. I was born to teenage parents that were in high school. They were 17 years old. And so, um, you know, their money story was kind of a part of mine. And the this, this struggle of, you know, raising a, a, a son at such a young age and graduating high school and getting into the workforce. Uh, my dad was the kind of guy or still is the kind of guy that drives a beat up truck. And uh, as a kid, I just remember he would shop for all of his clothes at Goodwill. And um, that was a really big example for me to kind of learn early on about materials and um uh, yeah, and kind of how to approach approach life um, from a cheaper standpoint. My mom is a very uh, forward person who's not afraid to ask for deals, even if they're not labeled. Uh, she she uh, is very persistent, and um, and she's given me that drive to kind of uh, be able to ask the one more question or to to maybe put myself in situations other people are afraid to put themselves in. Um, I grew up in a small town, and uh, I was very lucky that I grew up in that town because most of my friends had very educated uh, parents that had great careers. And so whereas I came from a young family that kind of struggled in a lot of ways, I got to hang out with kids that had parents that had gotten their doctorates or CEOs. And so I kind of got the best of both worlds, in my opinion. Um, so that's kind of where I grew up. Awesome. And, and how about in the high school years and those types of things? How did you uh, make, earn or save money or just blow it all? Or how, how did how, what was your relationship with money before you got into college? I was very lucky that, uh, I won't lie, that my grandparents were uh, very spoiling to us. So whereas my parents always, you know, were kind of making ends meet and working hard, my, my grandparents definitely spoiled us and gave me some of the ability to do some of those things with those friends that were able to afford those things. Um, I did not work a lot in the high school years because I was an athlete that played a lot of sports. But growing up, I did the whole sell candy bars from Costco in the, in the locker rooms. Uh, I, I used to, uh, when I was in middle school, I would go to Goodwill and I'd buy uh, Nintendos that were at Goodwill and I'd refurbish them and sell them on eBay to make a couple extra bucks here and there. So I kind of hustled my way, but no formative job during those years. Awesome. So what was the position you kind of left high school with and entered college from? Yeah, so I was a first-generation college student, um, so the path wasn't really laid out. Uh, all of my friends were going to college, and I knew it was the thing we were supposed to do. I just wanted to play basketball, so I ended up going to a junior college um, because I could afford it, and um, I could play basketball, so I did that. And my at the time, my family, it was 2008, had lost everything. Uh, we filed bankruptcy, we lost our home, cars, uh, we actually ended up kind of uh, on food stamps and uh, doing the whole Christmas and Thanksgiving at the food bank. And it was hard um, for sure. I have two younger brothers and it was it was a hard time for us to lose our home that we grew up in since birth. But I guess the flip side, which is the important thing with, with investing, in my opinion, is to look at the silver lining is we qualified for full financial aid, which was a whole process to learn, uh, but ultimately gave me four free years of school. Okay, so what did you study in college? Uh, I did my general AA, a two-year degree, mainly because I didn't know the direction I was going in. And then when you get to that big university, which I transferred to after, you, uh, the world is your oyster and you have all these majors. And so I kind of floated around a little bit. Uh, I sat through one accounting class taught by a grad assistant for me to realize I hated accounting. So business went out the window pretty quick for me. Uh, that one class kind of did it. Uh, and I, I thought about different things, but ultimately once I realized I wanted to be a teacher, um, I did the math and the quickest path was for me to get my, uh, bachelor's in psychology and then go back and get my master's in teaching. Okay. So you said four years of college was free essentially because you qualified for your, uh, your loans or I'm sorry, you qualified for aid. Was it that was the first two years in junior college and the first two years, the second two years in the four year college, or did you get your master's? paid for as well? I got my Pell Grant and my FAFSA grants and my scholarships not only paid for school, but they paid for my living. They paid for my groceries. And my friends and I and my wife found us an apartment on Craigslist, 
$125 each a month. She wouldn't stay the night. It had linoleum flooring and the whole apartment. Dingy, grungy, but it was 125 bucks a month and we were able to uh, save a ton of money. And so I was, I was getting paid at one point. I'd end up with cash at the end of the month from all those grants. So that was my four years. Completely paid for, paid for my summers at home, everything. And then um, my master's, I got subsidized loans, but we, I did have to pay for that. That's incredible. So Skylar, could you give us a little bit of an idea about how you were able to qualify for all of these grants or what, what the, the major contributors were or, or things that allowed you to get all that, that money and where people can learn more about that? Yeah. Like I said, if you use it, an accountant particularly, uh, that's a great resource. Obviously, they can get you the numbers and resources you need. Um, a lot of the paperwork is pretty mundane and it takes a long time. So if you Google FAFSA, um, you're going to find the financial aid assistance website. And there's lots of resources on there. A lot of it, you kind of have to self-teach yourself. But I'd say as a high school teacher, one of your biggest proponents and resources is going to be your high school for uh, your son or daughter student. Um, the counselors there have been through that process with other students. And uh, mine happened post high school because of the financial crisis was right after I graduated. But I would say if you think your son or daughter or yourself may qualify, because it applies to adults as well, uh, your, your high school counselor or the FAFSA website are great resources. Right. And most people will be familiar with, with that, with FAFSA, uh, F-A-F-S-A. Um, you can Google that and learn more about it. Okay. So uh, thank you for that. I think that that's going to be really helpful for people who are looking for more information about that, uh, paying for college. I think that's great. Good job on uh, living on, did you say $125 a month for rent? It was ridiculous. It was the nastiest I don't, yeah, I didn't meet code, that's for sure. But my wife found it. We didn't even see it. We just had to take it. And with with the FAFSA too, my, myself, my brother, my other brother, and my mom all went back to school for free. So our whole family went debt-free for four years. Awesome. So it was pretty fascinating. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's and no one had ever graduated college in our family. So all of a sudden that opened the door. I mean, it was a crummy situation, but turned it into a silver lining. Well, but you made, you took lemons and made lemonade. Absolutely. Okay, let's look at your college graduation. So you graduated from college with a four-year degree, and then you went on to college to, get, to grad school to get your master's degree. What was your financial position when you graduated college? Or I'm sorry, from your grad school program. Yeah, I moved back home to my local town. That's where the uh, the private university was at. And I, I kind of did the math. It was an expensive tuition. It was a one-year program for $32,000. And I had to take out subsidized loans on all of that. Um, my FAFSA didn't extend into your master's. It only goes to your four-year degree. Past that, I just got subsidized loans with a better rate. So my math was in our state, you get paid about seven to $8,000 more a month if you have your master's, or excuse me, seven to $8,000 more a year if you have your master's. So it was a calculated move to, to get my master's done in a year so I could get to teaching as quick as I could. And then I just always thought I would pocket that extra money towards paying those loans off each year. Awesome. What year did you graduate? from that master's program? Yeah, from the master's program, it was 2012 uh, in the spring. Awesome, so what happens next? What, where's the, what, you're, you're $32,000 in debt, do you have any any savings? What what happens next? To, uh, well, I, I have a couple thousand dollars in my account that I've, I've uh, Uncle Sam has given me up to this point, but that's about it, and it usually doesn't work that way, I know. But uh, uh, at this point, I'm, I'm already a frugal person, so you know, I'm staying at my grandparents' house for free. Um, that spring I graduate that summer, I get my first job. So I get a teaching job right out of school, which was difficult during that time. But, um, growing up in that area helped me get a job. And so that first job with the coaching stipends, I was making about $48,000 a year. And we can kind of start getting the numbers, I guess. Um, so yeah, I was making about 48 grand a year and, um, I ended up moving into my friend's basement and I paid $500 a month for rent. Um, he was very gracious to allow me to do that. It was a nice little basement setup, And I was saving those first few months. I was saving about $1,500 to $2,000 of my $3,000 paycheck towards my loan. So I just started aggressively hammering. I had a used car. It was great. I thought it was nice. Worked well. And I just started hammering out the debt at that point. So, okay. So I'm, I'm paying off about $1,500 to $2,000. Um, at this point, I knew I wanted to get... I, coming from a family that had lost everything... Uh, home, cars, all this stuff. I, I was just really scared of debt. Um, it had nothing to do with financial independence at this point. It was just more, uh, I didn't like to owe anybody anything. That's kind of my dad's mantra. Like you drive a cheap car, you buy your clothes at Goodwill, you you don't owe people things. And so 
uh, I was just on a mission to, to, to pay off my debt. And kind of like he had taught me, being uh, financially independent, being frugal, isn't it a punishment, it's an investment in yourself and your future. And, uh, it, and it wasn't really hard. It was kind of second nature from the, the, I'd like to say I was really suffering, but I, I thought I was living pretty good. So uh, a funny story, I, I had a parent approach me uh, on the basketball team that I was coaching. And it was a, uh, a dad and he was kind of dressed in a, just kind of like a beat up sweatshirt, a college sweatshirt and fleece shorts and sandals. And he kind of knew that I was living farther away from the school to, to be cheaper. And uh, he said, hey, I, I have a unique opportunity to go work in Sacramento. And my son, his wife has passed away at this point. And he said that his son, uh, he wanted him to stay at his house, but the only way to do that is to have an adult home. He's like, would you live in my basement so my son can stay for stay at our home versus putting him in a neighbor's and it'll be free. And so I just like, sure. And he, I was like, I'll come check the place out. So he sent me the address and I, I'll I was, come check the place out. Like you're going to say no. <laughs> no, I, I a hundred percent not going to say no. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and a key point is like, I've been dating my, my wife now since high school. So this entire time we've been together and I get on the phone with my wife and I, and I tell her, yeah, I'm just going to drive out there and, you know, drop my stuff off and start living there. And it's in a, it was in a pretty nice, nice part of town. And so I start driving up the hill and the higher up the hill you go, the higher, the nicer the houses are. And so I'm driving and I'm driving and I'm keep driving and I'm starting to get intrigued if I'm going to go over the hill and back down the other side. But I got to the top and I'm in a neighborhood of million dollar homes and it's a 1400 square foot basement with a, with a bar, a ping pong table, a movie theater and a bedroom. And this was, this was what it was offered to me for free. And I almost said no, because I just was judging a book by its cover. Um, so now I'm living for free in this, uh, basically, apartment. And what year is this? This is still 2012, like okay. end, tail end of 2012. So you paid a couple thousand bucks towards your student loan debt, moving into the, now you're living for free. Yeah. So now I'm, now I'm paying about 2,500 bucks a month towards my student loans, living off 600 bucks. The groceries were included. I mean, the most gracious family, they've taken me in. They're, they're like a family now to me. Um, it was just the perfect setup. So uh, I guess there is like, don't say no to opportunities when they don't look. Maybe, you know, at first you may not like the way they look. You got to check them out. I was going to live in that house no matter what, but it ended up being an extra bonus that it was nice. And so around this time, you know, it's turning 2013. I kind of, uh, I went to Dave Ramsey for my first bit of uh, financial help, because if you Google trying to be debt free, he's one of the one of the ones that comes up first. So I had adopted kind of the snowball method at this point. So I was taking debts that, you know, were two or $300 loans, these smaller loans, 1500. And I would pay them off gradually. And I remember I would print off the paper that says, congratulations, you owe $0 on this loan. And I had a file right next to my desk at school. And I'd print it off and I'd put it in that file. And I would just cross it off. And I kept putting these $1,500, $2,000 loans in my file. And it just felt so good to have this little place right next to me that I could see these things slowly stacking. And also, I mean, I know most of us heard of the debt snowball, but it was just so powerful to feel like I was doing something versus looking at the big picture and how am I ever going to get a dent in this thing? I just slowly accumulated these, um, these little letters saying I'd, I'd paid off that loan. So, so and, and just for folks who um, are not familiar with the student loans, right, they come in chunks of like a thousand bucks. So you have $32,000 in student loans, but you have like maybe 10, 15 loans that are all 1,000, 2,000 bucks. And so you're saying once you get a receipt from paying those off, it's like a check. I could put that away and, and file it off, right? Yeah. And I, and I tried to attack some of the higher interest rates, but they were within four to six percent. And so for me, the uh, the mental accomplishment of it was worth trying to maybe take one of the bigger 6% loans that would have deflated me. Um, so I just took those small wins and let the singles become home runs. Yes. Okay. There are people who argue with this debt snowball method, and that's fine. You know, oh, you're not arbitraging the, the interest rate. You're not paying down mathematically. It doesn't make the most sense. Forget that. You need some people need the wins and it just keeps them going. Like, what does it matter that you just paid down, you know, a 27% interest rate loan over the course of five years versus getting that little win to keep you going and keep you motivated? So, yeah, if that it, it just all depends on what your mental state is um, and how you feel about debt. Did you have any sort of emergency fund while you were doing this or were you throwing literally every dollar you could at your loans? 
I didn't really foresee what emergency could have happened because <laughs> I was just like, my car breaks down, I'll walk to school. I'm staying for free. My groceries are paid for. Like I, I probably had a few thousand dollars set aside. Like I said, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to hedge inflation. I wasn't looking for the most advantageous place for my investment. I was just trying to not owe anybody anything. So, um, you know, I, I probably got lucky uh, a big life, but I could have dialed back any of those months that $2,000 input into my student loans and kind of created a, 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 a balloon for myself there because I was voluntarily paying much higher than my obvious, my, my payment was. So I probably didn't have so much saved up as much as the flexibility to live one more month, you know, put it on a credit card if I need to, if I, if I absolutely had to, and then live to that next, that paycheck. What, okay. I have two, two questions here. What, what subject were you teaching? At the time I was teaching middle school, uh, technology, like robotics, things like that. Yeah. Awesome. And then most importantly, how did the basketball team do that, that first season? Well, that, that, that's like so many more podcasts that we don't have time for. I, I was a 21 year old head coach of a very large school. So, uh, I made a lot of mistakes in baptism by fire, uh, in that sense. But you know, we, we weren't, I probably got the job cause we weren't that good that year. We eventually ended up being really good, but those first few years were, it was a learning curve for all of us. Let's just put it that way. Let's stick to finances. <laughs> you got to hear about the, the basketball team's uh, story in parallel to your finance story here oh. over, over the, over <laughs> that's, that's true. Um, that's true. Um, okay. So great. So the first year, how, how much are you able to pay off and what, what, how does the journey continue from here? Yeah. So that first year, I, I mean, we're talking all this happened in a, in a span of me getting my job in September and now we're in December. So I was at this point, I'd gotten, you know, maybe $6,000 of my loans paid off because you get paid starting in September as a teacher and you only get it once a month. So we're not too deep into it, but it starts, um, like I said, progressively snowballing from here. Um, my, uh, in 2013, um, my, uh, my wife, I believe that year had graduated from her four year degree, just girlfriend at this point. Uh, although we'd been together for five years and she had a really tough decision to make too. kind of going back to college. She could go to a private school near me and we had been doing long distance for three years and pay $75,000 more in tuition or go to a state school six hours away and pay $75,000 less. And our goal, our, our thing was we knew we were going to get married, but we wanted to financially and have our own independence and identity. So she did what was best for her. She went to the school six hours away. Thankful for that. Um, that was a smart decision on her part and it, and it, and it grew our relationship in different ways. Um, she graduated a little bit later, uh, in 2013 and we, um, had gotten an apartment together that was, uh, $850 a month. So I moved out of this amazing situation that I had and moved into an apartment with my wife and we're paying 850 bucks on my salary. So I was, I kind of dipped into that savings, um, uh, the ability to pay my loans a touch there. So in going into 2014 is when our financial story kind of picks up. So my wife graduated with about $60,000 in debt. So at this point, you know, I have roughly 26,000 left on mine. She has 60,000 uh, on hers. And because she didn't have FAFSA, those interest rates were in the sevens. So they were fairly high. Um, in the spring of 2014, I got my real estate license. Uh, I had a, yes, I had a mentor who was actually my athletic director who had helped me. He had gained my trust. I told you there was um, some pitfalls really in coaching when you're 21. He had helped me grow so much as a, as a person. And then, you know, as we got closer and closer, I, I realized like his name's on all these real estate signs and he's also flipping, he's our AD, but he's also has his own, uh, LLC flipping homes and renting homes and, uh, he pushed me into getting my license. So I, I studied for that. I got that in the spring of 2014 and, uh, I kind of got to work right away. And, and I asked him if I could say his name, his name is Josh Gibson and he's down here in Southwest Washington. And I owe him so much. He works for Berkshire Hathaway and not only has he been an amazing realtor, but amazing friend and mentor. And I'm, I'm very grateful, um, to have him in my corner. So it's the spring of 2014. Uh, I got my license and then that fall, Taryn and I buy our first home. So this is kind of when it goes from just saving a bunch to investing, um, I guess. We buy our first home for $175,000 is about 4.75% interest rate. Uh, we put down 5% on a conventional loan. I had saved up enough for that at this point. 
Um, so that's where we're at looking here. And what is your, what is your wife's profession at that point? Perfect. Yeah. Thank you. We both work in the school district. She is a speech therapist, but she works in the school district. So she has the same salary penny for penny and same schedule as me days off included. So we have from a very early age decided like our money's going together. I grew up in a house where, uh, the finances kind of crumbled. And then she grew up in a house that was very, her dad's a doctor. Her mom's a head nurse. They had a lot of money, but very, very smart with their money. And so I just knew that we both agreed we wanted money together. So um, we, we definitely combined our forces. And in the summer of 2014, right before buying the house, I'd be, I'm going to sleep in the doghouse if I don't say it. we got married. Um, <laughs> we, we got married in 2014. So let's backtrack a second. Uh, and my wife wants me to tell you that our, group, our, our honeymoon was an all-inclusive uh, resort in Mexico that I got on uh, on Groupon of all places. So uh, that's kind of how we roll. Um, so yeah. So Taryn's making about forty four thousand dollars at this point a year, and, and so am I, plus my six thousand dollars from coaching. So we're making about ninety six thousand dollars a couple, and I mean we feel pretty good about that. The only thing kind of looming over our head is is this debt. So at this point, our debt. You know, we're, we're, we're sitting at about $96,000. Um, there was a small car loan that she had to pay off as well. So we can do the student loans in that. Well, great. So we buy the house and, and, and is this a house? Ha- what, what, what kind of investment is this? So we bought the house. I got my license. So I'm not paying a realtor to represent me. So I was able to negotiate a little bit to get that house at a little bit lower of a uh, pur- purchase price just because I didn't have to pay a buyer's agent. Um, it's a two bedroom, one bath, small home. But as I mentioned before, Josh really pushed me to buy in good school districts. We could have bought a bigger house in a different school district. And he just swore by buying in the school district, you're always going to have a positive rental. People are going to always be desiring this neighborhood. And so we, we definitely took a smaller home, plenty big enough for us. But we definitely, you know, we, we, we'd go around and we would play house hunters on the weekend for entertainment. I had my realtor's license, so I had the, the ability to go in homes so our weekend fun would be going around to these different homes and, and touring them and kind of seeing what was out there. And uh, we ended up buying this home, two bedroom, one bath, 900 square foot garage. That was um, a really nice feature in the back. And uh, we're in a good school district. So we just know that it's a, a good investment down the road. Awesome. That, uh, that, that fall from spring getting my license to December, I made about twenty-five dollars to $30,000 in real estate having my... Uh, my license on the side. Those were a couple deals that I did myself. Those were some some just showing homes for other uh, realtors that I would get paid to go do or co-write deals on. Um, but I made about 25, 30 grand. So after taxes, that money was um, put back into our savings account because we had used that to purchase our first home. Awesome. So, so at the end of 2014, you're, you're starting to roll. You've got your house, you're married, you've got two incomes, you're you got ninety six thousand in debt, but you're also getting a really good, nice side hustle here. Um, how how do things progress from there? What do you do uh, once you've rebuilt your savings? Yeah, so we we bought that home. It was October of two thousand fourteen, and then uh, in the spring, there was a home a mile away that came on the market that I went to show my friend who was looking to buy, and I just knew as soon as I saw it that my wife was going to want it. It was this old nineteen eighteen Victorian home. Uh, kind of in a little bit of rough shape, perfect place downtown. And I told my friend, I was like, hey, uh, I really want to help you with this house, but I hope you don't like it because my wife's going to want it. And so uh, that money that I'd made doing real estate on the side had now parlayed into a new down payment. And so we put a put an offer in and my wife wanted to cap it at 240. And I was like, well, you know, that's a, we know there's multiple offers. Let's go 242 with the escalation clause hoping that extra little cushion over 240 might be the difference. And, and sure enough, it was. The next highest offer was 240, which pushed our escalation clause to 242. And we uh, got the call that we are now going to own a second home. So this is, um, this is June of 2015. So just seven months after buying our first home. Awesome. And, and you guys are not working in the, in the summers, or are you coaching or doing something else during that period of time as well? No, I was... Uh, I'm not quite, I can't quite remember that summer. I was fairly new to coaching. So I was very intensive in our summer trainings and all that trying to build a program. But in the future, we, we travel, we do side things. We, we enjoy, you know, part of the story for me is that I have not ever felt like in my entire working life for the last 10 years, I have sacrificed a job that I love or time with my family. 
And those are the like those are the two biggest things that if it if the show ends tomorrow, I I don't feel bad that I I penny pinched or did this or that because I I had time, right? The most unvaluable currency that there is. I, I I had that the whole time and I enjoyed it. And so I'm I'm saving money. My wife's you know right there with me alongside this journey, and we're also traveling to 16 different countries and backpacking through Kauai and doing fun things throughout this time and making it work. Did you buy the second house as a rental or as a house to move into? So we bought the second home for us to move into. Um, it was going to be a uh, fixer upper for sure. First home, we probably put about $8,000 into it, mostly cosmetic, mostly uh, outdoor whether it was curb appeal, I built a deck, I built a fireplace in the back. But the inside was on that home was essentially it was so small, it was a perfect starter home. It was pretty compact and easy to, to deal with. This home was four bedrooms. It was 1,900 square feet. It was 100 years old. It was beat up. And so we were able to qualify for an FHA loan on that. And we did a 3.5% down payment at a 4.25 interest rate um, for 242. And so this home, we, we were... We'd only lived in another home for seven months, so obviously we're going to have some capital gains if we sell. The market was still kind of on the rise at the point, and it was kind of kind of easy to see it continuing that trend, especially in that district. So we held it, and we rented it. So we rented that home for $1,450, and our monthly mortgage on it was about $1,125. So cash flowing a little bit, to, and we just put that money right back into a savings account for repairs, but holding on to it for the appreciation of it. Awesome. So... so uh... Now we've got our first property. Um, we've got maybe a little bit of cash flow, maybe break even-ish, depending on maintenance and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and we've got a second one that we're living in, and you're fi- living flipping, it sounds like. Yeah, and so that's kind of started our live-in flip. So, you know, the, we bought the home, and we had a trip planned to Europe that summer. And uh, we were going to like seven or eight. We, we, just, we just put backpacks on, and we go. And we, we share rooms and Airbnbs. We do hostels. We... Just make it work. We camped on the coast of Kauai for $8 a night. Like we just go and we figure it out. We try to get, it's a quantity thing. We try to stay as long as we can for as cheap as we can uh, using our airline miles, et cetera. All those things and tricks that we've learned on bigger pockets. Um, but anyways, we, we bought the home and our flight was out was the same day we closed. So we close on the home. We put our stuff down. We never stay a night in the home and we fly to Europe. And the home had quite a bit of issues. We had uh, $20,000 in seller credits to fix the foundation, which was leaking. The um, radon inspection came back fairly high, so we had to get a radon system put in. And we had the floors redone because they were pretty um, damaged. So while I say that is because I'm in Europe and we've never slept a night in this home and it's a fixer upper. And at this point, we feel pretty leveraged. We have $175,000 loan here, a $242,000 loan here, and we still got about eighty-five dollars to $90,000 or about $85,000 in student loans at this point. And that wears on me. So I remember sitting in an airport in Spain and I had this little napkin and my, it was right my, I was just writing all of our debt on this napkin, just scribbling it, scribbling it down and looking at our payments every month and then looking how much we make every month and just trying to figure out. I wanted to be debt three by 30, but now we have two homes and it won't happen until we're 40. And there's just no way this math. And I'm just stressed. I'm having nightmares that the house is crumbling at home. This new home that we built because there's foundations getting fixed. So I'm having nightmares. This house is crumbling while we're in Spain. And now we have a home that is worth nothing. And so I'm, I, I had, my anxiety had now peaked. Um, we had a good trip, but we are very, we felt very leveraged at this point. Um, it works out in a second, but uh, that's where we're at. Spoiler. Yeah, it does work out. Uh, so yeah, the envelope situation was a little, a little, a little chaotic. But so we get home, and right away I go to town. We still have a, a month left in summer. So I'm, uh, my dad is extremely handy. He worked in HVAC for years. Terrence families lived in old homes. They're from the East Coast. Um, so my wife's, my wife's uh, dad's helping me. My dad's helping me. I'm just learning as we go. We're tearing down walls. We're redoing floors. We're fixing this house up slowly. We get it to a point where we can refinance it out of the PMI. So our, 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 uh, we refinanced, I think it was 315 uh, as a value of the home. So now we're able to get out of um, PMI. So our, our mortgage payment went from 1850 a month down to 1400 a month. And that was the goal was to get out of that. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. The, the refinance was a huge, a huge thing for us to get, get out of that PMI, get it down. So now we're sitting at 1400 bucks a month, which is very doable on our salaries. We're, we're pulling in about 6500 a month after tax at this point. 
And so we, um, we feel pretty good about this. We're still paying off debt about a thousand to two thousand dollars a month. 2016. How'd the basketball team do that year? Better. We're getting better. We went to state okay. for the first time in 52 years. Oh, wow. So in uh, 15, 2015. Uh, 2015, we were, we were good, but not great. But we were getting better. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I, maybe maybe my lack of focus on it and the ability of other things was what led to it. Or I just wasn't a knucklehead. Um, you know, when I started coaching, I was three years older than the seniors. So there wasn't a lot of separation. And so you can imagine that was a recipe for some, for some disaster. <laughs> uh, when we were living in this house and I was working on it, I was coaching. I was teaching. I was doing real estate. And obviously, when we bought this new home, Again, I didn't have to have a buyer's agent commission when I bought this last house. Um, I was also driving Uber on Saturday and Sunday nights. It had just opened up in Portland. Like this was the beta test, like when Uber was brand new. And so I signed up. They only allowed a few hundred drivers at first. And I was making 200 bucks a night on the weekends um, driving Uber. And so that money was strictly kind of my way of making up for maybe having to pay a higher mortgage and not able to put as much money towards my student debt. So um, I was driving Uber on the night and then I'd wake up and try to do an open house, try to show some homes to somebody, uh, try to do something and stay involved in real estate. Having my real estate license, we made some money doing it. Uh, At this point in 2016, I made about $45,000 in real estate selling homes. But I also, yeah, but I also, I also was able to meet people, right? You rub shoulders with wealthy individuals or smart individuals and like guys like Josh and, uh, it, that was invaluable, just like learning it. Because I came from a, 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 a not a very uh, well-off family. So being around these people, surrounding myself with these people, they were my financial circle. Um, you know, they, they tell you to, I didn't accidentally, I didn't, I didn't actually uh, regroup my closest friends, but I had like my friend group and then I had my financial friend group. And a lot of them were involved in those real estate. So I had made a good chunk of change from real estate. Um, I was driving Uber, coaching and teaching and we were doing pretty well. We, um, we decided in 2016 to sell the Weir street house. And so this was our first fine, uh, first real estate deal. We sold it for $240,000. Uh, we bought it for 175. I didn't have to pay for a, uh, commission for an agent cause I had sold it myself. And we, t- we had a $50,000 check handed to us. This was after our capital gains. Um, we had $50,000. I, I paid that right away to my aunt, our accountant. And, uh, we took 50 K and we, it, we were 27 years old and we had a choice. We have 50 K we have $42,000 left in our student loans. We have old cars and we just pushed the button on Sally May and hit payoff and 27 years old, debt free from, from our, from our college loans, all $96,000 gone. Um, and it was that moment writing that na- a year earlier, I was writing a napkin in Spain thinking it was going to take me until I was 40 and it, and it worked out. And that was probably one of the best feelings ever. That was, that was the most gratifying financial thing I may have ever done. And my wife was right there with me. We were toasting with a glass of whiskey and it felt great. <laughs> That's awesome. Did you take all of the, the, the coupon, the receipts or whatever that you were talking and put them in your filing cabinet in one big, big stroke? We just got one email and I have a screenshot of it. It's actually, yeah, I have a screenshot of it on my phone <laughs> and it's just one, like they, you know, they don't really celebrate with you. They don't like it so much. <laughs> Thanks for paying it off. That lift though, that that's a bummer. Uh, we paid off my husband's student loans back when you had to write a check and send it to them in the mail and writing that last check was so happy. Like I'm done. This is the last one. I never want to hear you again. I never want to hear your name again. Yeah, we, we, we felt great. And right that, at that same time, so now we have that we have that rental sold. So we just have our current home. Uh, I've been fixing it up constantly with the help of many people, I, I should probably acknowledge. But uh, we got a roommate that lived in our basement. So our, we made our, our basement was equipped to had a little bedroom and a bathroom and a little TV area. And so we kind of fixed that up a little bit. And we uh, had a friend come live with us and he paid 500 bucks a month to live down there. So now our $1,400 payments down to $900. And so now we're really back to like a a nice living where we can pay off debt or save, excuse me, now we're saving and we just felt really comfortable. So right now we're saving it. We just kind of did this whole, we bought a house, we're fixing it up. We just had some success. And uh, obviously if you look at our story in the years, it doesn't take a genius to realize 
the market was appreciating every year since we've owned homes, right? So we we are very fortunate and lucky. This, um, whereas I also believe if we weren't, we would have found another way to make money or make it work. That's just kind of who we are. But like, it, it would it would be really naive to not think that the real estate market was on a rise. It wasn't that hard to sell homes for profits. It was just a matter of taking the risk to to get one in the first place and then kind of build off that versus sitting on it. And you fixed up the properties yourself and added a lot of sweat equity, it sounds like. Yeah. We can we can acknowledge your luck and give you some credit for, for being very intentional and hustling here for a very long period of time. Yes. That first home, not as much work, but the second home was, we probably put of our own money 20 to 30 grand into it. And we redid every square inch of the home. Like it wasn't, wasn't left untouched. Um, so that, yeah, that was a lot of hard work and, and without kids, that was a lot easier than where we're potentially at now. Um, we just kind of cruised. Uh, we went on some trips. We did like that Kauai trip where we were backpacking and we got a beach permit for eight dollars and we just called it our own little resort and we could open up our, we, we literally slept on the beach and that was just kind of the style that, you know, that's how we vacation and we had the time to do it. We're now 28 and debt free and I had gone through a lot with coaching and teaching and kind of being in one town and really grinding. And my wife stuck with me through all of that. Um, and so we wanted to change. And my wife made it a deal with me that after five years in this town that we would try something different. She wouldn't marry me unless I committed to leaving this town at some point, just because she's moved a lot and didn't want to be stationary. And then sure enough, uh, that fifth year comes around and she looks at me and goes, you know, you promised me we'd move. And I was like, but we got all this going for us. We got this great house. We just finished remodeling. She goes, you promised. So uh, I made a deal that I could explore coaching in college uh, if she, if she, if we would move. So I found a gig coaching uh, at a college as an assistant coach that paid peanuts. Um, but because we'd set ourselves up financially and debt free and she had her job and was getting paid well, that we could afford to move to this new town. I would work for peanuts. We would rent a house, which at first just uh, killed us to our bones, but it made sense for the time being. We rented a home. She worked. She was making at this time our in the in the state of Washington. Teachers had renegotiated our contract, so now she's making around fifty-two thousand dollars a year salary. So we have enough money to rent this house. And this is two thousand seventeen. This is two thousand seventeen. Yeah. And so before we left, we had to decide: Do we want to rent this home? Or do we want to sell this home? And I had redone the home for us to live in. I had done butcher block countertops. I had done tile flooring. I did not build it, you know, custom made vanities. I didn't build it to be rented. I kind of built it to be lived in. Um, but it looked good. So we decided let's sell. And so now we're, we're selling the second home. And we go to list it. And Josh actually helped us list it um, this time around just because of the chaos of us moving. Uh, we kind of split the commission up, but he did me a big solid and put his name on the sign and uh, helped negotiate while we were planning this move. So we list the home for 335. We had just bought it for 242 two years ago. There's a theme every two years. Like we don't, we've never stayed at home longer. Too. Once those capital gains kick out, we, we leave. So we list it. And uh, 335, tons of traffic, tons of uh, offers, escalation clauses. And so Sunday rolls around and our highest offer was at 365. We're, st we're stoked. Can't believe it's $30,000 over asking. Uh, a couple goes, hey, can we see the home? And at this point, I'm exhausted. I'm like, Josh, like, I just, I just kind of want to be done. He goes, let's let them look at it. What's it going to hurt? Well, tell them you're looking at offers in an, in an hour and they need to put their best foot forward. And so... He does it and they, they go tour the home. We're out for a hike and he calls me and he goes, you'll never guess what? And I was like, what? He goes, they just offered you $400,000. And I was like, no way. And I was like, I, part of me as a realtor was mad because I knew what they were doing. They're putting their foot in the door to get it, waiting for the appraisal and then potentially renegotiating back down. So part of me was a little upset because I, I didn't think the home would appraise for 400. It was, it was maybe worth 325, 335 anyways. So I was a little frustrated, but also excited. So we uh, fast forward, the appraiser was from a city nearby, not from our city, from a large metropolitan city. And didn't he counted the basement with no egress. He counted it as a bedroom. So he put a fourth bedroom on, or a fifth bedroom on the house when it didn't have one and messed up. The, he didn't, he counted the full square footage of the basement, all these little things that made the home. And so the appraisal came back 
$400,000. And so we continued through with that deal and, uh, we closed on that house and we made about, uh, we, well, we netted, obviously we've invested some of our money to it. We netted about $132,000. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You netted 132,000 tax free dollars. Correct. You forgot the tax free. Yeah. Tax free. No uncle Sam and I have been best of friends still. We're still getting along. And so, uh, the importance of this money was that my wife and I have always wanted to adopt my mom. Um, was adopted. Her birth mother had her at 15 and put her up for adoption. My grandparents adopted her. My grandparents were like my saving grace as a child. They were the most kind, sweet people ever. And they're why I have a good head on my shoulders. And my other set of grandparents had adopted my aunt. And I just have always had a heart for adoption. And Tara and I have been together since high school. So it's a conversation we had many times. But adoption is very expensive. And so part of reading to be on this podcast was just kind of using real estate or other investments to fund your adoption is a message I'd really like to share because it's overwhelming. The average domestic adoption in the United States is $52,000. Wow. So a lot of people don't realize that there's other ways to adopt. There's lots of ways, international domestic foster care, and there's lots of kids in need and all of those. One is not more significant than the other. Um, but we wanted to adopt. And when Josh sent me my net sheet, I said, if it hits this number, we're going to use that money to adopt. We don't need it. Like we have our cars are fine. We're going to use that money to adopt. And when he, when he, when the appraisal came back, I said, how'd the appraisal do? And he sent me a picture of a baby emoji. That's all he sent. And, and that's how we knew that it hit that number. Um, and it was just like, it was just, it just felt like the world had been so good to us and we'd, we paid off our debt. Now we're here at 28 years old with the funds to adopt, which we were stressed out that we would never be able to start our family through adoption. And, uh, and we're, and I'm, and I'm going to a new town to start coaching college. So kind of, I kind of thought our financial journey was kind of done. And now we were just going to live like this sedentary, normal life, right? You get your paychecks, you kind of live paycheck to paycheck. I don't know. I just kind of thought it was done and we'd hit the jackpot. Okay, so we have a hundred and thirty thousand dollar check. We're we're debt. We have no debt what, whatsoever. It sounds like in your enti- in your whole life at this point, and you got the ability to adopt. What happens next with the new town, twenty seventeen? Yeah, going through it quicker. The job at college was fun. wasn't the best. I just couldn't get through it financially. That I wasn't making good money. So we adopted our daughter in two thousand eighteen. Uh, we'd gone through that process, and we got our daughter in two thousand eighteen. One week, we adopted our daughter. We signed on a new home in our new city. And I got a new job coaching and teaching high school in a different town. So now we're both back to making money teaching. Um, we have our daughter and we've bought a new home, a new fixer upper, another 67 year old home. Um, we live in this home for two years. During that two years, we decide to max out our HSAs. We decide to match out our 457s and our ma- on our Roth. So my whole point with all of that, and I know you guys have covered those with a lot of other guests, was we wanted over $100,000 of net worth uh, protected in assets that if anything went bad, we lost our jobs, anything happened to one of us that we had um, access to that. Not only that, we were tax deferring all of our money. So for a year and a half, uh, we would come in at about of actual taxable income because we'd been maxing out all those accounts. How'd the basketball team do at the new school? We were, we were pretty good. I got lucky. Yeah, I got lucky. (laughs) All right. I got lucky. Uh, or maybe I'm learning how to coach along the way. Uh, so at this point, uh, I had taken this house down to the studs in most of the rooms and redone them all. Uh, I'd fallen into a shop teaching job at this point, so my skills were accumulating being a shop teacher. Um, and 2022 or 2020, obviously COVID hit. At this point, we'd built up the HSA, we'd built up the Roths, we've built up um, our 457s. And uh, we were at home a lot because of COVID teaching from online. So I sped up the homework and we decided to sell our home that we had just finished building, or sorry, uh, reflipping, and it hit two year mark. So we got right out of capital gains. We bought that home for $355,000, and then we turned around and sold it for $516,000. We took that money and we saved a lot of it and we adopted our son. We paid for that home flip for our second adoption. So now we have our kids, our family, we're still debt free. We take that and we finally buy a house that we don't have to fix. And we bought a home um, in the county with five acres on it for $512,000. Right now, my wife and I are getting on Saturday. We are leaving to Indonesia to teach internationally. 
where our money is taxed is not taxed at all. Our home is paid for. Our children's daycare is paid for, which is a $3,000 a month expense where we currently live. And we will save an 80% savings rate, which will roughly be about $80,000 every year. We hope to use that money to vest in real estate um, back in the States while we're living abroad for those few years. We kept the home that we bought during COVID on five acres, and we are renting that uh, to friends at cost of mortgage because we just wanted to know that we had the safety net of coming home from internationally if we wanted to um, wanted to come home. That's amazing. So, so we've done several flips to this point, or, or two two flips, three flips, three three flips. One was the the first. So you have property number one that you bought for one seventy five and sold a few years later for like two two forty. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then property number two, which is your prior house, and then property number three, which was like a hundred and sixty thousand dollar gain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was another living flip. And we have a uh, now we have the, the home home on five acres, and we're traveling the world. Sounds like very shortly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, next week week after two days saturday (laughs) saturday that's what it is yeah (laughs) well good that we got the podcast before the move uh how long do you plan on being abroad yeah so the average family stays eight years our contract is two years but like i said the savings rate is so high you you're about an hour from bali you get a cook and a cleaner and a driver and so like we're pretty excited and i mean there's obviously downfalls living abroad um but we are we are just open to it. We'll see. Our job, um, our job in the state is held for two years, so we can take two years there and still come back to our jobs here if we want. Um, so we're just going to kind of wait and see how we how we enjoy it. Now, let me let me ask you this. You know, I've I've uh, when when I've thought about hey, how would a teacher go about achieving financial independence? I thought, yeah, getting your agent, getting your agent license, and then buying a property, fixing it up in the summer work in the school. Like, it sounds like that was sort of what you did, but it was really more of like an all out grind all year round for several years to get to that. What advice would you have for someone who's getting started as a teacher to kind of repeat some of the things you've done? Yeah, I think that as much as I love my profession, there's a lot of victimhood in it of like, I'm a teacher, I don't make enough, so I'm not going to be able to do these things. And it's much more of a perspective of you have time. And what are you going to do with that time? Like you have time off in the summers and breaks. So, um, how do you ever you utilize that, whether it's a second job, you're making things with your hands, you're you're doing some type of craft. I don't know what that is for everybody, but utilizing that hustle and that time to make things happen and to not be afraid to ask questions. They don't do a great job teaching you about 457s and HSAs. They, they just kind of throw you it and say, here's your pension. We have a pension to fall back on too when we retire. And that's like our safety safety net. Um, and so really asking questions and, and then utilizing that time that you have is probably the biggest steps. Yeah. How, how do you think um, y- you're a coach in there and, um, you know, therefore you might have more interaction with at least some parents than maybe other teachers to a certain degree? How do you, how do you, it seems like you did a really good job of using the network that you could create uh, both as a coach and as a teacher to, to exploit opportunities. How, how do you think how, how do you think about that or how someone else could repeat that? Yeah, I think the school district that you work in is a big choice, right? The demographics of that school district might lead to different opportunities in the network. And one thing that my wife wanted me to mention too is the teachers, you you can have the hack of living in a cheaper uh, area if you're priced out of that nice neighborhood and that district that you want. We were lucky to fit into it. But you, if you teach in that school district, your children can go to that school district. So for a lot of teachers, like you might have to live in a more rural area but if you li- if you work in that nice school district, your kids can attend school there. They're going to network with those kids and their families, and you're giving them the opportunity to also benefit um, from being in that school district, even though you may not live in its boundaries. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to Nerd Wallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before Nerd Wallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let Nerd Wallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Nerdwallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms of each credit card issuer apply. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago before I ever started my real estate business, 
I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb. And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I used to think working from home was the dream until it wasn't. Between the distractions and the solitude, I was struggling. But then I discovered Industrious Office. And honestly, it's been a game changer. Every day at Industrious feels like stepping into a zone of productivity. The high-speed internet never fails me during crucial moments. And the workspace? It's not only stylish, but designed to boost your focus and creativity. Plus, the daily breakfast and endless coffees are super cool. Meeting other driven professionals right where I work has not just expanded my network, it's inspired me. It's amazing how being around other focused people can push you to achieve more, you know what I mean? If you're looking for a sign to change your workspace, this is it. Check out Industrious by visiting biggerpockets.com slash industrious. Then click join now and use the promo code pockets to get a free week of co-working when you take a tour. That's biggerpockets.com slash industrious and use promo code pockets after clicking join now. Experience for yourself how the right environment can change the way you work. Industrious. It's where your best work happens. You're trying to close on your next rental. So why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Self-education. Um, during this period, are, are you doing any of that? Are you reading books, learning about money? How, you know, is there a background of educate, self-education or an aha moment that's triggering at any point in that journey um, from something you read, listened to, or otherwise learned about? Sounds like Josh, for example, was a big influence. Josh was a big example, but you know, he only has so much time in the day and a mentor wants you to do it on your own a little bit too. So for me, it was Bigger Pockets Real Estate at the time was the only uh, podcast you guys had. It was just I, I'm a big input equals output person. So the more you take in, like I said, you know, 15 to 30 minutes every day of some type of financial input, real estate, whatever, honing your craft, owning your own business. Uh, I was listening to podcasts, listening to eBooks, talking to friends, putting myself in my real estate in my real estate business. I was putting myself in networking circles with mortgage loans and life insurance people, and just figuring out how other people did it because I I was just smart enough to follow the path that was there. Awesome. And then how did you stay on track with all of this stuff? You had, you, it's not, you know, I think a danger is you, I'm, I'm going to drive for Uber. I'm going to get my license. I'm going to buy a property. I'm going to fix it up. I'm going to travel to Europe. I'm going to travel to Kauai. I'm going to, how did you kind of uh, stay consistent um, across this, this long period of time towards these, these goals? Um, I would say, obviously I'm a pretty big Excel maniac. So I had a, a pretty big running tab Excel sheet that kept everything uh, financially for numbers engaged. But I, I just, uh, I had my family had that had lost everything in 2008. And I just had like a burning desire to, to set a path for my kids like my dad did for me that was better. And so we just had goals. It helped that I had a partner that was so consistent, reliable, and I'd been with since high school and we knew each other so well. And like I said, I, I just didn't, it didn't feel like a punishment. It was a game. I was a former athlete. So it was a game. Like, how am I going to get there? And I, I'm just so used to, I'm going to outwork somebody for something. I'm just, I'm, I'm not going to lose. I'm just going to work. I'm going to do Uber. Okay. Then I'm going to do this. Then I'm going to do that. And it just, I made it a game and I just wanted to win the game. 
I think a lot of people on this path are super competitive and they have to win. Yeah. And I would say that there there's flaws with that too, though, right? Like uh, if I lose sight of anything, it's like time with my family, you know, time investing in my own mental and physical health. And so there's definitely a consequence to being that um, uh, that intense on certain things or impulsive and kind of bouncing around. So that's where having a partner that can kind of ground you is really important. And for us, traveling grounded us. And that's why we pursued that and then time together for sure. Well, what a phenomenal story. Thanks for, for sharing this with us. I mean, wow. <laughs> um, a little bit, of, a, a little bit of luck, but a lot of hustle and a lot, and uh, a lot of great moves that you were able to parlay one after the other into bigger and bigger wins here until you have this incredible option here, uh, optionality in your life. Um, what, what do you, could you, would you mind giving us a quick picture of your assets before we go into the the, the famous four? You've got the, the, the home here do you, you, and you have some 401ks. Do you have a cash reserve or how do you think about your overall financial position today? Okay. Yeah. So for us right now, um, the way we've kind of fallen where we're at is we have our home that is rented. We bought it for 512 right now. We, we almost sold it when we moved, but we decided to keep it kind of as a safety net for our own mental, um, just have something to come home to. It's worth about 800,000 right now. Wow. Yeah, we did really lucky on that. Um, just the acreage close to town. Um, we have uh, HSA accounts, uh, HSAs, 457s, and then obviously if we wanted to withdraw from our contributions with our Roth, which has always been a safety net in the back of my mind, nothing I want to ever do. Don't freak out if you're listening to this. Just knowing it's there. Uh, we have about 85,000 there between those accounts. And then um, we have... Uh, enough in our savings account to purchase a rental home at about 20% down in our area if we choose to do that in the next few months. And then obviously we're heading into uh, this ability to save uh, quite a bit of money over the next few years in Indonesia, which is kind of a cash reserve that will kind of still playing around with how we want to use that, but uh, debt-free. And I'd say the biggest investment of all that is we have two beautiful, amazing children that came into our lives because of this story one from Florida, one from Nevada, and it's the most amazing, amazing relationships that we've ever had with anyone, obviously with them and their birth parents. And all of that came from this hustle. And that is the best part of the whole story, in my opinion. That is the best part of the story. Well, phenomenal job. I can't wait to see how things kind of go for you the next couple of years. Um, and when you, and we'll look forward to catching up when you get back from, from Indonesia. Thank you, guys. We ran a little long today, so we're going to have to skip most of the famous four, except for the most important question, which is, what is your favorite joke to tell at parties? I know you guys get this all the time. I had more anxiety about this than the whole podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and my kids are young enough that they laugh at anything I say. Um, I, uh, yeah. Did you, uh, did you, did you hear about the kidnapping at school today? Uh, I did not. Yeah, it's fine. He woke up. Ah, oh, oh. <laughs> excellent. Use that with your, 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 your players. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't have good jokes. So if you're listening at home and you cringe, that's <laughs> a okay. I'm, I'm more on the pun side of things. Well, Skyly, thank you so much for sharing your story today. This was a lot of fun and you're right. Kids really do make it all worthwhile. I'm so excited for you and your family. Your trip sounds amazing. Two years in Indonesia, two years minimum in Indonesia sounds fabulous. Um, and I'm going to come visit you. Deal. So shoot me a line. <laughs> okay, awesome. Skylar, we will talk to you soon. Thank you. All right. That was Skylar and his super amazing story. Scott, I do feel like a slacker. How about you? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just amazing. I mean, I, I, I will say when I started my career, I was making $48,000 as an analyst with that and had this like as a, as a financial analyst and had, and I could see so many parallels in those first couple of years with with Skylar's journey to to a certain degree, you know, um, with that, what's amazing, I think, is is the the, the way he's used real estate um, in conjunction the networking opportunities that came with his profession to really leverage leverage that those initial results into huge outcomes um, over the last ten years. Whereas I had to join a startup, for example, I'm comparing myself. <laughs> but, you know, like you, sometimes you can't help doing that when you're thinking about um, folks who started around the same year uh, on their journeys. I love that he is taking advantage of the Section 121 tax loophole. I'm doing a little air quotes for those of you who aren't watching the video. The Section 121 tax loophole that says if you live in a property as your primary residence and own it for two of the last five years, you pay no capital gains taxes 
on any gains up to you you pay no taxes on any gains up to $250,000 if you're single and up to $500,000 if you are married. I hope to pay taxes on one of my flips sometime because that would mean I'm making a lot a lot a lot of money, but this is such a great way to it's another way to ha- hack your housing and look at what he's doing with his uh his net gains, parlaying it into more properties and being able to fund what he really, really wants, and that is to adopt children. Well, what a wonderful story. Awesome success story. Um, can't wait to see how the next couple of years go for him, and um, we'll have to catch up with him when he returns from Indonesia. That would be awesome. Okay, Scott, should we get out of here? Let's do it. From episode 331 of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, he is Scott Trench, and I am Minnie Jensen saying, until then, Penguin. reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the bigger pockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping to pay down your mortgage each month, four kitchens and bathrooms you can renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can afford? Which market and which deal is best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down by four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? These are all great questions, all to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devtha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com four today and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. That's biggerpockets.com slash F-O-U-R. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.